Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations with the intention of demystifying, destigmatizing, and desensitizing what really gets talked about behind the closed doors of the therapy room. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Selkin. And we're seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. So join us as we dive into the ways that therapy can be connecting not only to yourself, but also to those around you. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. We have another one of our coaching sessions today. This one's with Kristen. And Kristen wrote in to us just talking about having done a lot of work, um, a lot of therapy, and still really struggling with some of her family dynamics from a divorce that happened when she was really young and just wanting to unpack some of that. Yeah. And, you know, without getting too much into it, we'll obviously let you guys listen. You know, I think the interesting point that Danae and I talked about, you know, between ourselves and obviously with with her during the session is how common this is for so many people um, and so many clients that we work with where they have this thing, whatever that thing is for them, and they just want to be over it, right? I just, okay, this is what I have to work on. I want to move through it. I want to be over it. I want to put it behind me. And how much of our jobs really become helping them understand that that's just not how the work works, right? Um, that you can process and release, uh, but it's never going to really go away. And it, it really becomes more about um, building a tolerance and continuing to build tools for your toolbox and trusting that you have those tools. Yeah. And I think over time, it almost becomes, you know, in what you're saying, just like this awareness, like, oh, there's that thing again, but your reaction to it becomes different. You know, it becomes right. a little bit more, I am responding differently to this thing than sort of reacting on autopilot to this thing that really used to be difficult for me to tolerate. Right. And I would actually say, as you guys go into this episode, maybe something that might be interesting is what is that thing in your life or what is that event in your life that you just quote unquote wish you could get over, right? Or like wish would just be done by now. And how much of that is about you not giving yourself kind of grace to still be human and have something in your life that maybe won't ever go away, right? Your, your reaction to it will just change. Yeah, absolutely. Enjoy you guys. have a lovely caller today, Kristen. She's calling in about uh, an interesting topic, actually, that I think some people will be able to relate to. Um, when we got her note, she was talking about how she struggled many, many years later with the after effects of her parents' divorce and how it's kind of manifesting now in her adult life, especially around the holidays. Uh, and I think many of us, myself included, coming from a divorced home can definitely relate to that. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Kristen, and then if you want to just kind of fill us in on your story. Yeah, so I am 26, mm -hmm. and my parents have been divorced since I was nine months old. So my whole life, it's been that way. And since I was that young, when the divorce happened, I wasn't conscious of, you know, the conflict at that time. Sure. And by the time I was old enough to understand these concepts, my parents were already both remarried and I have five other siblings now. Mm. And then also at that point, they were in a good spot with each other. Mm -hmm. So a lot of co-parenting happening. I felt like I had great relationships with both of them. And yeah, it was all pretty great until 
I was about 14 and I decided to, that I wanted to go live with my dad because I had lived mm. with my mom up until this point. And then relationships changed and there was not any more communication between my parents. Mm. Um, and then the older I got into my adult life, the more I learned and the more I think the divorce started to affect me, even though it was something that happened, you know, so long ago. Mm. I've done a lot of therapy actually over on the subject and worked through a lot mm. of it, but it just always catches me by surprise when I'm triggered and it comes up so strongly, even all these years later and all this therapy and things like holidays, even right now, something is like, it's a smaller holiday. Like it was Easter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was so triggered by it because I can never be with everybody at once. Mm-hmm. And that's really the hardest part for me. And that's what I struggle with a lot is mm-hmm. not being able to be with both of my families at once. So my, my first question, um, you know, Kristen would be, I'm actually curious to know when you say that you're triggered, can you tell Danae and I a little bit more about what triggered is for you? Like what that feels like? Yeah. So as far as physical manifestation in my body, it's, you know, on the morning of a holiday or something, or even in the moment when I'm with one family, I start to Mm -hmm. feel just a little bit of tension in my chest or in my stomach. And I begin to feel pretty emotional about it. And so most of the time it's like after I've spent the whole day with one family and then I feel sad because even though I've had this great day with everyone else from one family, I know that the other family is like, I'm not with them. Yeah. So I guess I'm wondering if there's sort of the feeling of like, I'm being pulled apart or somehow I'm letting the other family down or, you know, I can't be everything to everyone. And that feels like a lot to carry for me. Yeah. It's def- that's definitely accurate. It's like all of those things, you know, I feel that I'm letting them down for sure. And it, a lot of it is directed at my siblings hmm. because so I'm the only one from my, both of my parents. Mm-hmm. And so I experience this alone mm-hmm. and it's like, I'm always feeling like I just want to be there for all of them, but I can't physically be that person at the same time. Yeah. I think that's so powerful though, what you just said about that experience of like, this is my experience alone, because while Mm -hmm. I do have a lot of siblings and I think the experiences that we have of growing up, sometimes we can commiserate with our our siblings about what that felt like for me. But even as we were all growing up together, I had sort of the individual experience of Mm -hmm. being the one that was pulled in these different directions. And that is kind of lonely to feel that way. Yeah. And it extends beyond the siblings too, that because it's the families too, where it's almost in a sense like you, I feel like I lead two lives because mm-hmm. I'm one person in this one family and then I'm somebody else in the other family. And it's not necessarily that I change, you know, I'm consistent in my personality and everything, but just two different families have two completely different dynamics naturally. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So it's such a weird place to be. Mm. And I also feel like what you're speaking to, you know, I guess why I asked about the trigger, you know, how did it, how did it kind of manifest for you when you were talking about it? And I'm glad that you said the word sadness. It it felt a lot like there is like a strong grief around not being able 
to be there. And, and I don't want to like minimize it by using the term FOMO, but there is a little bit of this like when I'm with this family, right? Like what's happening with that other family? What's going on with them? Are they laughing? Are they enjoying themselves? Mm -hmm. I'm not there, you know? And so I imagine there's some sadness around that too, right? Like there's like, oh yeah. 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 It's definitely for it's FOMO. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. I'm like, I, I don't know. It's like a funny term, but, but what, <laughs> yeah. else, what else can you call it? Exactly. Right? It's very accurate. I used to identify with the term guilt a lot mm -hmm. around this subject, but through therapy, I realized that it goes really beyond that. Mm -hmm. And it's not really guilt. It's actually sadness. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what have you done to, do you think, um, you know, it sounds like you've done, like you said, you've done a lot of therapy around it, this idea of mm -hmm. sadness. I mean, through your therapy or through your own personal work, do you feel like you've given yourself the, the space or the, I guess, what does it even look like to really grieve and kind of hold that sadness for yourself? Yeah. So one skill that I've learned that has really helped me is when I know that like a big day is coming up, say like Christmas or Thanksgiving, you know, these major holidays mm -hmm. in the morning of that day, I will write a letter to my younger self mm. and I let her feel these things and I let the sadness be there. And I don't try to, I don't try to change it. You know, it's very difficult mm -hmm. um, to be in that space and to really like have my heart open like that. But I found that when I work through it like that, because there's two things that work for me. The first is letting the emotion exist. Mm -hmm. And then the second for me is journaling or writing a letter like just that's a personal thing that works really well for me. Mm. So that's helped. Like I've done it and it works, you know, it doesn't make everything go away, of course not. but it's a coping mechanism I've learned. Yeah. I love that so much because I feel like you have these tools that you've sort of started to incorporate to allow myself to feel and, mm -hmm. um, eventually move through the feelings. But then what I thought was really interesting that you also spoke to sort of from a family systems perspective, that I think, you know, in your age group is something that comes up for people a lot. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of times it comes up in the context of I'm in a relationship with someone who's mm -hmm. come from a very different family system than me. Right. Oh, so yeah. the paradigm that this person's family is, they do things this way. And it's very different than my family system and the way we grew up. Right. Whether it's mm -hmm. like the explicit things we said, this is how <laughs> yeah. we do, or the implicit, the things like we didn't necessarily say this is the way we do things, but we all know this is the way we do things. Right. Uh -huh. And you have that within your families, right? Yes. So I'm sort of juggling these different family systems within my family and they're all my family, mm -hmm. but I'm sort of trying to negotiate and I'm back over here and we're doing things this way. And that's mm -hmm. completely contradictory to the way we do things over here. So it's a lot to hold, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, the reason I bring where you are in terms of age into the conversation is because you are in this space of starting to individuate and mm -hmm. differentiate like these are my family systems and I am me over here. Right. So what feels true for me in terms yeah. of what I want my life to look like and what I want my traditions to be and, you know, how I hold myself in the context of these different systems. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Looking at it from a positive perspective, having those two families that I see 
has given me an extra skill in relationships, mm-hmm. I think, because I have more of a flexibility around accepting different family systems because I myself have to accept totally. two systems at yeah. all times, all the time. And so when I have, when I'm in a relationship with somebody and I can see that for my partner, that mm-hmm. this is the first time they're experiencing this, you maybe, you know, having to accept a new family dynamic. Whereas for me, I've been doing it my entire life. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I would imagine that that has made you, has given you a certain amount of agility, right? Mm-hmm. Ability mm-hmm. to just sort of move um, in an agile way from system right. to system, which you're right, is a real strength. Yes. yes. And I also want to speak to like this, to what Danae is talking about, you know, this time frame and like the age and the place that you're at developmentally, there is a lot that goes on period during this age, right? And mm-hmm. to Danae's point, it is around this idea of individuating and differentiating self and stepping into who you want to be moving forward into this next phase of life, right? So mm-hmm. most of us know, you know, even our prefrontal cortex doesn't fully develop until we're 25. So for you, it's turning. It sounds like it might be um, evolving as growth. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if I could ask you to kind of forward think or forward see, how do you want it to look as mm-hmm. you step into this next phase? Right. Do you mean in the sense of what do I want from my family dynamics or what am I looking for to I take? Guess, yeah, I guess if, if let's say up to 25 was mm-hmm. guilt and sadness and right, all, the FOMO, all these things that we've right. talked about. Um, if you're standing on a threshold and you see yourself now looking forward into this next phase of life, ideally, let's say you could wave a wand, how would you want it to look or feel for you moving forward? Ideally, if I could wave a wand, I would like to build bridges, Mm. honestly. I would like to find ways, whether, you know, that is rooted from me. I think it has to be rooted from everyone, actually, um, both families. And I would like to rebuild bridges to connect Mm. the different families. Mm. Whether, you know, that doesn't have to be like we all hang out all the time. Just, you know, small things. Like maybe I get lunch with both of my sisters, you know, the sisters from each family or things like that. I'd like to build connections for myself because I think that would be a very healing experience, not just for me, but for everyone involved. Because at the end of the day, divorce doesn't just affect the two people that get divorced. It affects everyone. It's affected their new partners, their children, me, everyone. Mm -hmm. So in the end, yeah, I think building bridges and finding new ways of, of healing these traumas. Do you feel like you experience resistance from the rest of your family if that's come up or has it come up? It's barely come up. The last time really everyone was together was my high school graduation. Mm-hmm. Um, and this past December, I actually graduated from college and we were supposed to all come together, which is not happening anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very um I was anticipating that a lot. And so that was going to be the first time in a really long time. There isn't really resistance. It's just, I think it's fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. It's uncomfortability. You know, it's all of these people and all of their emotions and trying to come together because they love me. Mm -hmm. 
I think that's, that's what I was waiting. I was kind of waiting to see if you'd come around to that, to that statement. Right. So, right. Um, I'm, I'm not going to lie as you were talking about building bridges and making connections There is a small part of me that has this little kind of almost like a little warning bell that's going off. That's saying, you know, we have no control over whether or not they're like both sisters are going to go to lunch. Right. Like right. We can't control that. And so if we set ourselves up for, well, this is how I want my healing to look. And then it's reliant on how other people show up. Right. Yeah. We can kind of set ourselves up for almost more hurt and more mm-hmm. trauma. Yeah. And I think your high school and your college, unfortunately, obviously not happening right now, but those celebrations to me feel like really good opportunities for you to, to flex that muscle and kind of build that yeah. skill connecting because it's about you and mm-hmm. it's about them showing up for you, right? In a time that is about celebrating you. And so really you can ask them, hey, you know, in so many words, put your shit aside. This mm-hmm. is about me. Come together for me, right? Bite your tongue and do this for me. Yes. Um, and that to me feels like something that you could do. And I imagine um, most of your family could probably do, right? I mean, oh yeah. Um, yes. As somebody, like I said, who also comes from divorce, there have been those exact same specific times for me too, where it's like, all right, everybody go to your separate corners, but be there for me, right? Yeah. This isn't about you. <laughs> this yeah. is about me. Exactly. Um, but I would say that those uh, events or timeframes feel like the time to implement that, right? Yeah. Outside of that, I think it would be hard, right? Yeah, definitely. And I don't have, you know, these outlandish expectations because in the end people made their choices and, you know, they made their lives and I'm, I'm so happy with how things are. I wouldn't change it at all. I never wished that. And I definitely think because I, we were planning this graduation thing and everybody was on board and Mm -hmm. I was very excited because, it's true. I don't ever say, you know, put your stuff aside, mm-hmm. but I was saying that cause it's true. Right. Every now and then it has to be about me. Yes. And so, and that's just like in the future, that's what I want. You know, when I get married or when I have kids, right. I have these very large milestones in my life. Mm-hmm. I want it to feel good then for everyone to be together. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And I almost wonder something about like, as we were starting off, gave me the sense that this is showing up in your relationships as well in some way, or am I just sort of? Yeah, no, definitely. It comes up and I mean, yeah, drawing back on these different family dynamics and then just my past history of how I've had to deal with certain things has determined my behavior patterns in relationships. And what does that look like? Yeah. I think I used to be very codependent, which was um, interesting for me, figuring all of that out and working through that, Mm. worked through a lot of that, overcame that, learned new skill sets. And now where I am today, the tables have changed a little bit where it makes me feel very sure. Like I'm overly sure about things. Mm. And when I'm getting into different relationships with new partners and having very quick observations about them, how they operate in their family dynamics, where their skill sets are at, and whether that's going to match up with mine. One thing I will say, um, as somebody who I would like to consider myself pretty well-versed on codependency, considering Mm -hmm. I also have many of the tendencies, um, I will say that when I'm thinking about a few of the little snippets of what we've talked about, underlying them is still some of the codependent kind of um, ways of thinking or lenses. 
this idea of communicating to your family, hey, I need you to come together and be there for me, right? Setting mm -hmm. boundaries, right? The, the fact that you were able to do that is huge because if you were still struggling in the world of codependency, that right there would have been a monumental struggle. And I imagine it probably wasn't super easy to do, but it sounds like you did it, right? Anyway. Oh, yeah. And then even in when we talk about partnerships, so we have to be really careful about this idea of black and white thinking, right? Yeah. I'm sure you've obviously kind of dipped your toe into the water of what that means and what that yeah. looks like. And, and I will say um, from personal experience, I don't know that we ever truly overcome codependency or if it's just something that we become super aware of. And in the moment when it really rears its head, we're able to go, ooh, oh, that's that. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to choose a different way of responding or a different path, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, I would just, I, I'm almost saying that more not to like shame you or say you mm -hmm. haven't done your work, but more just to say like, give yourself a little bit of a break. Because yeah. I think a little bit uh, of the work of codependency, not a little bit, a lot of the work of codependency sometimes is softening to ourselves mm -hmm. um, yes. and remembering that we don't have it all figured out. We're not perfect. These are not things that we quote unquote overcome, right? They, they come from somewhere. They were developed over time. We can get better, but not perfect, right? Just all these things. I think I just want to make sure that you're giving yourself that grace. Yeah, I definitely identify with that. And, you know, I've had my therapist tell me like, I'm my own biggest critic, you know, mm -hmm. and definitely true with the codependency thing. And yeah, giving myself grace because it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's, it's triggering when an old tendency comes up because it's like, am I still that person? Here we are again. Yeah. Here we are again. This is, you know, the fork in the road or whatever, how, which way am I going to cope? And I think what you said made me realize that there is something important about honoring that part of myself that yes, I was like that mm -hmm. a lot of the time and I can still have those tendencies, but I can still be strong and overcome them and make choices that are good. Right. And if you don't, it's still an opportunity to learn. Right. Yeah. Right. If you don't, it's not like the world ends and you've, you know, you're a total failure. It's like, oh shit, I did that thing again. Okay. So let me sit with this and reflect and, you know, how did that show up for me and how, how could I do, do it differently next time? You know, I think when you were talking about with your family, even this idea of, you know, you said you worked through the idea of guilt, but this feeling of like trying, I think Danae actually worded it perfectly, like trying to be something for everybody. Mm-hmm even that in itself is a real codependent trait, right? Yes. Yeah. And what I love about what you said, Kristen, is like, as these things come up as mm -hmm. inevitably, I, I do think to Vanessa's point, a lot of these things will come up for so many of us for a lifetime, but you said, yeah. you know, like, which way am I going to cope? Mm -hmm. And yeah. I hear so many tools that you have that you've already spoken to. And it a little bit becomes like, Ooh, there's that feeling again, like, which, yeah. which tool do I need? Let me reach back in that toolbox to take care of myself to allow the feelings to come so I can move through them because here we are at another holiday and I'm feeling activated again, you know, mm -hmm. because this is what it is for me at holidays sometimes. So I really like, I know that I have the tools and over time, some of it may feel a little different, right? The activation yeah. may be there, may not be as big as it was in the past, right? It right. may feel different. I have a different relationship to it, but I know how to move through it. I know how to stay with myself through it, maybe in a way that I didn't before. Yeah, definitely. Everything's always evolving. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that during this time, you know, 
with Easter happening during the quarantine and then all of a sudden mm. your graduation thing gets put on hold, right? Like mm. no wonder it's super triggering for you. I mean, it feels mm, like yeah. it's all just like poof, brought up right into your face, right? You know, I also wonder, sometimes I ask clients, um, what, what does it mean if that sadness or those triggers to a certain extent, I think Danae actually put this a little bit more eloquently than I did, or I'm going to, is like, <laughs> what if it doesn't change? So what if being sad during holidays just is? Yeah. Right. Like to Danae's point, eventually it does soften. I mean, that is part of doing the work um, and just moving through grief and, and kind of accepting it. Right. But there also is sometimes work around. This is part of my reality. Right. right. There is this sadness. And to Danae's point, like, okay, here we are. It's going to come up. You have these tools, which is great. And with all the tools in the world, you can't like not feel the sadness. Right. You know that. Yeah. It's still hard. Yeah. Yeah. My struggle with that is, which I'm sure other people can identify with, is that when, when the, the sadness comes or, you know, the, whatever, the trigger I'm activated, there's this fear of like the cycle of doom, you know, mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, I, I want to let myself feel the sadness and I, Maybe today I don't feel like using a tool for my toolkit, mm. but I have that fear of like letting it happen because it's like, well, what if I keep doing this all the time kind of thing? Yeah. The, the rumination. Yeah. Where yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. I always like to think of what I feel like I hear you describing as like the wave, you know, like this mm-hmm. wave yes. that, of like emotion that is coming towards me that I imagine is going to be so big and so overwhelming that I'm going to drown in it. Right. Yeah. And if I can stay with myself, if I can stay with the feeling through the wave, every time I do what I show myself is, oh my gosh, I'm still here. I didn't right. drown. Um, I rode the wave and I am capable of riding waves, right? So I think that is, to your point, something that all of us can identify with in whatever Mm -hmm. way it shows up for us. But every time I stay, every time I don't suppress it with, you know, doing something else, every time I don't distract myself from the feeling, I show myself, yeah, I I can stay with these feelings and it's okay on the other side of it. Yeah. Yeah, The feeling of fear is also one of those feelings, that feeling of the fear of the doom is just as much of a reality for you to sit with as the feeling of sadness. Right. Mm. Yeah. And they might come hand in hand, right? Yeah. I mean, it's almost like when you said that, it almost reminded me of a lot of people I've worked with who have really bad anxiety and mm. where it manifests into like a panic attack, right? Or an anxiety right. attack. And it gets to the place where the panic attack itself is actually brought on by the fear of the panic attack, not right. the thing yes. that originally caused the anxiety, right? And so it sounds similar. It's almost like, you have the sadness and now so closely associated to the sadness is the fear of the doom that now this is going to be my reality and, and I can yeah. just spin. spin. Um, and so it sounds like that's part of the work for you too, is to be like, okay, these feelings almost aren't separate anymore. Right. They kind of come hand in hand. Yeah, definitely. And so it's like with your journaling exercise or with some of the tools that you have, maybe it's not about just focusing on the sadness and it's not about just focusing on, I would still say do it, right? Don't right. abandon what works for you, the writing to the younger self and all these mm-hmm. things. But how can we also now incorporate the other feelings that are coming up too into some of those practices? Yeah, that, I, that is super applicable. And I, that's something I've been working on with my personal therapist mm-hmm. uh, with just minor anxiety and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so I can definitely, it's like I, visually can see the wave of everything and it 
that's how it physically feels where you get so high up and then Mm -hmm. you just come down and it kind Mm. of spreads out, you know? Mm. So definitely something I will be working on. I mean, good news for you. I feel like Kristen is, you're so Mm self-aware. You do have so many tools so that it, I think, you know, it becomes a little bit of that self-compassion that, you know, like, yeah, here's where I am again. And this is what I need to feel, you know, um, looking at the conversation I'm having with myself about the fact that I feel like, oh, here I am again. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's definitely um, something to continue with my journey is that self-compassion for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's hard for most of us, right. To like, like your therapist said, being your own worst enemy. Yeah. That shows up for so many of us. Right. Yeah. It's like, I want to be so good and get all these skills and do all these things. But at the end of the day, if I can't be compassionate towards myself, what good are they going to do for me? You got it. You Girl, got it. preach. I know. <laughs> and also like, again, what I was saying before, it's like, and also sadness, you know, I, I don't say it to be doom and gloom, but it's like, this might be part of your reality yeah. right now. Yeah. And, you know, we can't wish it away. We can't solve it away. We can't even tools it away. Right. Hmm. The tool itself is riding the wave. Yeah, exactly. Doesn't make it necessarily disappear. And I think that there's bravery in not just the acknowledgement of that, but also to Danae's point, getting to the other side of the wave and going, oof, okay. I wrote it. I felt it. I'm here. Ready for the next one. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you guys. Oh, thank you so much for, you know, just bringing this on because I feel like it is so alive for all of us and something that so many of us um, can just like look into our own lives and see how what you're describing is showing up. I think so many of us can relate in our own Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love what you said about like, how can I use these things that have been my challenges as sort of like, but this is what's great about it. And this is how it is a tool that has helped me sort of move in an agile way through now my adult challenges. Right. Yeah, definitely. That has been a tool, become a tool mm. for me for sure. <laughs> it will continue to be, whether it's at work, whether it's with your partner's parents, whether it's, whether it's a mother-in-law, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Being that kind of like chameleon, I mean, it can feel kind of exhausting sometimes, but also on the other side, it is a huge tool that I, I know I myself would never give up because I've got that tool too. So yeah, definitely. <laughs> Double-edged exactly. sword. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's yes. Perfect description. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Well, um, do us a favor. You have our email. So just, you know, keep us posted. I, I actually would be curious to know if you guys do end up rescheduling the graduation yeah. celebration. Yeah. Let us know how it goes. I will. We'll be, we'll be sending you kind of like positive vibes. <laughs> it's a good yeah. Thank then. you. <laughs> Thank you. All right. You take All care, right. Kristen. Thank you so much. Be well. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae Logan Selkin.